Well, welcome everyone, whether you're tuning in live, online, on demand, or here in person, we're so glad that you're here. How do you stare down a life-threatening diagnosis and find a way to keep on keeping on? The answer is a soul revolution. Anita, thanks so much for sharing your story with us so openly and honestly. It is an absolute inspiration to hear about when God moves in our lives. We're in week number five of a six-week series that we've entitled Keep On Keeping On from the book of Galatians. And we're going to just do a little bit of a, a review here to catch us all up as to where we are right now in this moment. Week number one, we looked at Galatians chapter one, and the big idea was Jesus wanted to be our numero uno, our foundation from which we built our lives, and then we would have life to the full. We'd experience thriving in that space. Week number two, we learned there is a way to navigate through conflict that is both God-honoring and life-giving. Week number three, we discovered that it's going to take time to become the people that God has created us to be. We can't fast forward or microwave it. It's going to take some time. And last week, we discovered that God doesn't require ourselves to prove Him, prove ourselves to him or to anybody else. We can just rest in the identity that he has given us and live from that space. And this week, week number five, is all about that idea of a soul Revolution. If you got your Bible with you, I want to encourage you to flip with me to Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to be reading verses 16 through 25 today. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Paul gets right to the point in this section of the letter. He's winding down his address to this group of people. And, and just a reminder, this group of people, the Galatians, would actually be living in what is modern-day Turkey today. In the city of Istanbul is where Galatia, that city, was, was in existence. And Istanbul is built on the ruins of Galatia. 
right in that space, in that region, is where this people would have been receiving this letter from Paul. This encouragement to keep on keeping on wherever they might be. And he drills down right here into the idea of the presence of God traveling with us wherever we go in the form of the Holy Spirit. He says we need to be living a spirit-filled life. What does that mean? Maybe you've been in Christian circles for a while and you've heard people be like, well, I'm just living by the Spirit today. And you're like, great, what does that mean? Today we hope to drill down and understand that a little bit. But let's dig into this text with each other. First of all, Paul highlights that there's a dichotomy, a dual nature in us, our sinful nature and our spiritual nature. Our sinful nature and our spiritual nature. And he says that these two are constantly in conflict with one another. In other places in the Bible, he writes like this. He says, I know the good I want to do, but I just don't do it. Sinful nature, spiritual nature. They're always competing for territory in our lives. One wants to trump the other, so to speak. And the challenge is, we allow whatever we feed to grow. Now, our sinful nature, you're like, okay, Jason, what does that look like for me as a Christian? Our sinful nature is anything that pulls us away from God's best and God's intention for our lives. Anything that pulls us away from that, that is feeding our sinful nature. Paul goes on to write this big, long list in verse 19 of things. Fruit of darkness is what I will label it. The fruit of darkness, all the things that we could choose to give ourselves to, and they're going to produce things that we don't necessarily want to have in our world. Let's just highlight those again. He says, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger. Selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties. And then he makes this caveat statement, in case he's forgotten anything, and all other sins like these. Anything that's less than what God desires, that is fruit of darkness. What do you mean, fruit of darkness, Jason? I don't understand. Where are we going with this? You've got to understand that the sinful nature and the spiritual nature of, of who we are, are are broader than just our current reality and experience today in our individual lives. There's forces of good and evil that have been at war with each other since the foundations of the earth. And these things are always trying to, again, one-up one another, one more so the other, than the other. The forces of evil, the forces of darkness. See, the forces of evil and the forces of darkness, they don't fight fair. They fight unfair. They have dirty tactics. They frustrate us. They pursue us. Their purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy. That is their goal. The moment that we become Christians, if we've chosen to follow Jesus in our lives, is the moment when our spiritual nature is ignited. It comes to life to the full. 
And the resting place, our eternal experience, is kind of decided in that moment. When we give our lives to Christ, we are going to be with him in eternity. But the battle for our influence is just beginning. It's just beginning. And the forces of darkness understand that, and they know that. And they're like, look, if I can, if I can win these battles along the way, then what I'm going to take is this influence that this person has. I'm going to kill it. I'm going to steal it. I'm going to destroy it. I'm going to make them useless. I'm going to make them impotent in God's kingdom. That's what I'm going to do. And from that moment on, he plots intentionally and intensely to take you and I down, to make us ineffective in the way we choose to live our lives. And the truth is, the more that we become like Jesus, the more that we pursue living a Christ-filled life, the more battle we will face. Not for our eternal destination, but for our influence. Wherever you are today, you have influence. If you're a student and you go to school, in your classroom or virtually, you have influence with your teachers, with your peers. You have influence. If you're a child in a home, you have influence. There's other siblings with your siblings, with your parents, with your extended family. If you are a parent, you have influence. If you work at a job, you have influence. If you're a stay-at-home parent, you have influence. If you're retired, you have influence. Wherever you are, you have influence. You have a platform from which you can address and speak to the world around you by the way you choose to live. And from that moment on that you've given your life to Christ, the, the forces of evil are trying to produce darkness in your life. They want you to be shackled and chained. They want you to be beaten down and tired and exhausted. They want you to give up. In fact, the number one, the number one production of fruit that they throw at you is shame. They throw shame at you because they want you to understand that you are not perfect. Wait a minute. Didn't we say earlier in this series that we are made perfect? And that is true. But what the enemy does is he takes what is true and he distorts it. He reinvents it. He retells it to us. And then we believe something that just isn't true. And we digest that and we say, oh man, maybe I am all of my mistakes. Maybe I am a product of the browsing history on my Internet Explorer or Google Chrome or Safari. Maybe I am the product of my past, the decisions that I made that just were not God honoring. And the enemy continues to heap shame on us. Shame, shame, shame on you. And when we get overwhelmed and inundated with shame, we become ineffective in God's kingdom. We become absolutely impotent when we embrace shame instead of freedom. Now, the good news is we don't have to stay in that space. 
See, we know what the tactics are of the enemy. We know that he's going to want us to live in that place where we feel overwhelmed all of the time, where we feel ineffective, where we feel less than, when we can look in the mirror and go like, mm, I don't know if I love you today. He wants us to live from that space because when he does, when he gets us there, he wins. He takes all of our influence and all of our effectiveness and he destroys it. But instead, you and I are invited to something different. Invited to something different. Paul continues, and he writes about the fruit of the Spirit. In the next few verses, verse 22 in particular, he highlights what these look like in you and I. Let's reread them. Love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the things that the Holy Spirit wants to produce in you and I. And they're all rooted in hope. They're all rooted in hope. See, the way that God works is nobody is beyond his reach of redemption. No matter what you've done, what you are doing, what you will do, nobody is beyond God's reach of redemption. He wants to produce in you this kind of stuff. Hope and life and joy and self-control. i got to tell you, self-control. When that happens in my world, I'm a parent of five kids. Outbursts of anger are a regular occurrence. Sometimes intentionally and sometimes unintentionally. In the moments when I have self-control, I know that that's God working in me and through me. The moments when I have compassion, when I can care for the person right across from me. The moments when I can look in a mirror and appreciate who God has made me to be. All my quirks, all my uniquenesses, and yes, even where that weird hair grows. If I can appreciate that, I know that that is the spirit working in me and through me. My spiritual nature is becoming more prominent than my sinful nature in that moment. Let's get real for a moment. Can we look at ourselves and appreciate God's workmanship? Or do we, when we look at ourselves, do we see something that we call as junk, and yet God calls a masterpiece? Can we take a deep dive and understand that this is what God invites us into, the way we get to leave, live. This is what it means to keep on keeping on even in the midst of chaos and calamity and trouble. This is the kind of fruit that God wants to produce in you and I. And the only way that that actually comes into fruition is with a soul revolution. Jason, what do you mean by soul revolution? I never grew up around big water before. Being from out western Canada area, there was a lot of land. There's pockets of water, you know, that you can stand in, but that's about it. Nothing like the St. Lawrence Seaway. And so I'm learning a lot about boating right now. I don't have a boat. Maybe I will one day. I doubt it, but maybe... You talk to my kids, we're getting one tomorrow. It's not happening. And what I know 
It's not a whole lot about boating, but I know when you're out on the St. Lawrence Seaway in a boat, you don't want that thing to leak. Because when it starts leaking, it starts taking on water. And when you're out in the middle of the seaway and your, your flotation device that's supposed to keep you above the water starts taking on water, you are in trouble. Now maybe you've got like a bilge pump or something. And that bilge pump is meant to pump out the water that's going. Or maybe you've got a bucket and it's a slow leak and you can like actually hand bail the water out of your device there. Your flotation experience, whatever it is, your kayak, your fun little boat. But over time, if those things fail, we are up against it. We're up against it. In the middle of nowhere, feeling overwhelmed, getting ready to experience the water at a whole new level. And the truth is that you and I, we leak God's presence. See, the moment we come to faith in Christ, he gives us this absolute gift where he pours out his presence into our lives. But from that moment on, you and I start leaking. We start leaking. And when you start leaking, pretty soon you're going to have nothing left. Unless you make a habit of being refilled or fueled up. Experiencing a soul revolution, a restoration of some kind. And that happens on a moment-by-moment -moment daily basis. It's not something that is just a one-time experience. Like, I'm, I'm good. You don't fill up your car with fuel one time and drive forever. You constantly are going back to the fuel pump and refueling so that you can go a little bit further, a little bit faster, a little bit more adventurous. And the same thing applies to our spiritual lives and our spiritual nature. If we're not absolutely adopting the practice of being consistently filled up by, this, by the Spirit of God, we are up against it. There's no way when we're faced with a hardship or a frustration or something chaotic in our world that we won't be inundated or overwhelmed by it unless we're filled with the presence of the creator of the universe. When we're waiting for something that we've desperately wanted to happen, when we've got a challenge at work that seems overwhelming, when we, yes, have a health diagnosis we wish we never did, when a loved one that we care about so desperately passes away, when our neighbors are spewing threats against us. When the most important relationship in our world outside of our relationship with Jesus is broken, it's in those moments that we need the presence of Christ to fill us because that is the only way we will be able to keep on keeping on. And I can't help but think that you and I need to experience that in a fresh way here today. So I'm going to invite you to, into something that I try to practice regularly in my own life. It's a spiritual discipline of just welcoming and opening prayer. Asking for the presence that created the universe to fuel me, to fill me, to give me what I need in every facet of my life. 
I can do this when I'm standing in front of a mirror. I can do this when I'm standing in line for a tea. I can do this when I'm driving. I can do this anywhere. I can do this everywhere. That's the beautiful thing about it. And no matter how many times we come to the Father and we ask to be filled, he doesn't turn us away and say, nah, you've already had enough. He meets us in that moment and he invites us into something more and something deeper. And I can't help but think that today might be that day for you. Maybe you've never made a commitment to Christ before. Maybe you've been, you know, just, you know, like uh, browsing on social media and you stumbled upon this uh, talk sermon thing and you, you stayed longer than 30 seconds and now... There's a guy talking on stage about something that you feel drawn to, but you don't understand why. And that's because you need Jesus. Maybe you're here and you just be, need to be reminded that God never forgot about you, even though you came to faith in him 25 years ago. It's a practice that I regularly do, as I said, consistently, most of the time, I can get better at it. And what it is, is this. I just take a posture of openness and welcoming prayer. Sometimes that means I'm standing. Sometimes that means I'm kneeling. Sometimes that means I'm sitting. When I'm driving in my car, it's usually a one-handed exercise. And I turn my posture, my, my palms, my hands into a, a, a posture of openness and reception. Kind of like I'm playing catch with my, one of my kids or I'm holding a newborn baby. It's a posture of gentleness and openness. My palms extended upwards towards the heavens, and I pray four simple words. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And so this morning, what I want to do and I want to invite you into is to participate with me in this experience. If you can identify with some of the tensions that we've talked about in this short little talk today, and you need the presence of our King to fill you in some way, I'm going to invite you simply to stand and take a posture of openness and reception like I explained with your hands. Wherever you are, whether you're on Blockhouse Island, whether you're prepping for lunch, whether you're sitting in front of a fire with a hot chocolate, wherever you are, just stand up. Stand up and put your hands in that posture of reception and I'm going to pray for you. Father, sometimes we make things so complicated when they don't need to be. Your word is clear. Your word is simple. You invite us to experience you at a deep and meaningful level. So God, I ask this morning, with my friends gathered in this space and those that are tuning in online and digital means, I pray that you would meet them in the middle of their prayer as they pray these words, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. It's a prayer of hope, Father. It's a prayer of desperation. It's a prayer of recognizing that we, 
need you in every moment of our lives, no matter where we are right now. Would you allow us to experience you so that we can use the influence you've given us to inspire other people in this same way that they would get to know you and choose you as Lord and King. Father, bless us and protect us. Be gracious to us. Make your face shine upon us and give us your peace, Father. Your favor, may it rest on us. We ask this in your name.